My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. And today's guest is Bradley Robert Ward, a studio and conceptual artist based in Houston, Texas. As his website states, his studio work is heavily focused on combining materials and methods that placate and demystify his standing within the world, most recently utilizing photographic transfer, drawing, and collage as a direct visual language. And as you'll hear on today's podcast, uh, Bradley has been experimenting with cyanotypes. Bradley was also a featured guest on episode 21 of Dear Adam Silver when we discussed his collage and tapestries where he uses found imagery of iconic basketball players as subject matter. I was so happy to have him back on to discuss his newer work which is focused on baseball, specifically the Negro Leagues and what the game means to him personally. As Bradley acknowledges at the beginning of our conversation, we recorded this episode the day after Chadwick Boseman died. It is important to acknowledge all that he created and contributed during his time as an actor and beyond as a person. Thank you all so much for listening, and please take care and stay safe. I was just feeling like I really needed to take my mind off of all the other things um, going on. Um, but I was um, definitely wanting to work with you know more photos. Um, but I wanted to try and find a different method to um, explore. And I had never really done any cyanotypes. And I had liked um, some, just some examples that I had seen and also what you can kind of do with them once they are done. And then also I found out later that you can tone them. So I'm trying to look into that. But um, but I've just been working on some cyanotypes and then also um, using the actual cyanotype as like um, the fan portion of a church fan. So I was like doing some woodwork as well, like making the handles out of like pieces of pine. Um, so just kind of doing things literally with my hands to pass the time and try and be productive. Yeah, I think that the trying is is an important part. And, and throughout this whole period, it's felt like that has ebbed and flow, ebbed, ebbed and flowed, at least for me. Uh, with yeah. when when I felt really like, oh, I can take advantage of having more time and then also <laughs> feeling overwhelmed by what's going on and feeling a little bit more paralyzed and not, not being as productive. Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it, overall it's been hard on everyone who is an artist just because in the beginning you couldn't get any supplies and then it was almost kind of like having to ration what you did have and even in, in that event, no one was really buying work either, unless it was charity work, but then you also don't get any of those funds. So it was kind of a, a double-edged sword in the beginning. And then, like you said, it was kind of just paralyzing. And of course, um, with like George Floyd losing his life and then Breonna Taylor as well, all that just really kind of piling on. And um, I guess for lack of a better term, I was having like some imposter syndrome, like is is what I'm making like really even important or needed? And then also like, is it even important to me? Is it even important for me to making be making work that's like specifically speaking towards this, or do I need to make it mean something more? I always find um, that to be a little bit difficult. Like how much 
what is the shelf life of my work? Um, so I think all of that was just kind of really weighing on me and it, it kind of felt vapid to make something that didn't like serve a purpose. So I just felt completely out of all of it for a while. Yes, I can understand that. And also, I mean, it's just hard when, when we're seeing, and I mean, when we're seeing this horrific footage of violence um, and the killing of George Floyd, and then, you know, the reading about and, and hearing about the killing of Breonna Taylor um, and, and many others since, uh, and this week with, with Jacob Blake, like, it is hard to know where, uh, where art is fitting into the, to um, pushing for solutions and demanding change or, uh, yeah, that, that larger conversation, but I think it, it is needed <laughs> so much, um, especially the work that I've seen that you're sharing right now, um, uh, about, about baseball, which was not what you were making work about when we last left each other. Yeah, I was just trying to explore baseball just because, um, as I said before, one of my former uh, professors, Robert Pruitt at Texas Southern, he was curating a show um, that's going to be taking place on September 17th, I believe. It's either 17th or the 18th. Um, and I wanted to make something, but if anytime I take a break from basketball and I jump back into it, I just, again, I'm, I'm met with all these personal expectations and I felt like I didn't want to be tied to those so I wanted to just kind of explore something else and in the effort of returning to basketball anyways but I just kind of wanted to look into the history of another sport and then um, I guess I was gonna say ironically but I guess rather unironically it's the 100th uh, year anniversary of the Negro League mm -hmm. so I've been looking into that and kind of the history and how that um, history ran congruently with major league baseball and like all these different blackballing and or i guess just to say whiteballing of like certain athletes and then different histories that um aren't necessarily accurately um depicted and um also just the fact that they were on church fans like this ongoing i guess imagery or like uh play on the idea of like church and congregation that i've had with sports and then how that might translate to baseball. Yes, um, I'm. I'm so curious about the the baseball work and that also we're speaking. I think yesterday was the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson signing with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. Um. So it, I mean, it just feels like an important important to acknowledge that day and also that you know we're speaking within that context and. Um, one thing that I noticed that you had done on your um, Instagram recently with one of the posts that you shared that was about the, this work that you're making about baseball was to point out, like, if you think that any of this is new, what's going on, what's happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, it's not. And here and this is another version of systemic racism. Um, that 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 you're making work about, and you're pointing that out. I, I believe you're pointing that out in your Instagram post, um, and and making that connection. And 
I feel like something, you know, when I saw on ESPN, the, the, they had made this short little doc to acknowledge the 100 year anniversary of the, of the Negro Leagues. And it just felt like that, that is what was missing from that. I mean, it also could have been much longer and um, much more attention could have been drawn to it, but also that they weren't making a connection to what's happening today, um, which I feel like is, is, is an is an issue that comes up in many different forms uh, within within addressing the systemic problem is that the connections aren't always made to expand the discussion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that one hundred percent, and I guess I should um, take the time now since we mentioned Jackie Robinson to also say rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman who mm-hmm. um, portrayed him a few years ago. Uh, it's just been a, a a difficult year, but um, yeah, with the with the um, piece that I made through on that post, I was just, I guess, thinking about again all the things that have played um, like a big theme in my life, and music is definitely one of them. And I was thinking about just some of these. Um, themes that have been uh that are somehow you know in the ether tied to each other and even if you look at um i believe on jay-z's 444 album in the last song legacy he talks about um there was a time when america didn't let us ball those times are now back it's called afrotech so even if you think about like um black people in the um you know technology field they are being probably white walled the same way you know, some of these Negro League players were. But more specifically about the piece, yeah, it's, it's it was just like me accounting for them in the same way that I was wanting to account for anyone that I ever portray. It's just like, those are real people. And I think a lot of times, especially in sports, when we do talk about like history, the things or like things that happened in the past, or even, you know, tangentially like when we talk about oscar robinson and, and free agency and, and Kurt flood and free agency we talk about it like it was hundreds of years ago like oscar robinson's like maybe 70 something he's not that old mm-hmm. um and like those things it's only a few decades ago it's like maybe 30 years ago right um and essentially before free agency people don't know you were essentially like Fall into the purposes, a slave to that team. Like you stayed with that team forever. You could be treated however you want to be treated. But Oscar Robinson and Kirk Floyd fought for that, whether it be like rights, you know, to get like surgery or like looked at or like taken care of properly. Or if you weren't being treated right or the team isn't doing well, you would like to move. That wasn't possible for those two players in those two respective sports. So it's just wanting to account for those people who you know, we're fighting for that. Who aren't these larger names, you know? Right. And and I think that we're also very quick to focus on the individuals uh, rather than the whole entity sometimes. I mean, just within sports, I think that that is the, the common uh, pull is to sort of celebrate the individual accomplishments um, of certain players rather than thinking critically about why the Negro Leagues had to exist. Um, and why players, why there were those restrictions that didn't allow players to have that freedom of, of choosing where they wanted to play. And of course, now we have a lot of pushback on that, 
when when players are uh, deciding, sort of controlling their own futures by deciding where they want to play, that is also something that is uh, critiqued a lot now. Um, oh, sorry. I was just going to agree with that because, you know, and, and I guess double down because even if you think about, um, like, there's some players, specifically with Jackie, like, I think anyone who knows enough about Jackie, he was a really great player, but he wasn't technically the best player. And right. people who ran MLB didn't want the best Negro League player because he was better than all of their players. So you had to find someone who was likable enough, but who could withstand, you know, the bigotry and all that that was going on. So Jackie was technically the perfect candidate, but there's so many people who didn't get drafted. Or there are some people who got um, picked up by certain teams but they were never actually called up. So that innocence stopped them from playing in other leagues because you were technically owned by this other team, but they're never utilizing you. So there's just all these different systematic ways where like, if you were doing too well, they would sign you, but they would make sure you couldn't play anymore and you weren't playing for their team either. Right. And that the, when those, when players, when the uh, major league baseball integrated, that essentially just put the Negro baseball leagues out of business because those contracts weren't seen. The, the players that were in that league could sign contracts with MLB without, without feeling, without legally being bound to the ones in the Negro leagues. Right, or they would just go to Mexico where you were paid as well. But again, that's still not the major leagues. Yeah. Okay, so one question I had for you because I have been I've tried to make cyanotypes cyanotype is a process very near and dear to my heart um, and I'm really interested in the manipulations that you were using on your images and I'd love to talk about that and I've tried making them at home and what happens is that um, there just ends up being a lot of chemistry everywhere that I don't see at night and the next day when I go wherever whatever room or (laughs) if I go out onto the porch there's just like yellow chemistry everywhere so I think I'm being very stealth and then it ends up being um a total mess so I've I I haven't made any cyanotypes during the quarantine uh because of that because of course there's no there's no place to go to do it and then I've tried it at home and it's a disaster. So I was wondering how you were experimenting with it during this time or if you maybe had access to a dark room. I definitely don't have a dark room. I've been trying to use my vanity um, and then also like my closet to kind of like use as, uh, I just turned over like a, a, a cradle panel and I'll put the, you know, the solution on the, uh, the paper and then I'll put the paper on like the back of these creative panels and I'll put them on top of like my shoes and hopefully it's like flat enough but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never actually level um some of the like overexposure or like the over um saturation helps just uh just depends on whatever the image is but it's always just like trial and error hit and miss I have definitely missed more than I've hit but when it does come out well it's nice it is definitely an extremely messy process it's and it's also something if you don't clean right away, it's a mistake. And I, I've learned that. Like, I tried, like, spraying it and then be like, oh, I'll come back to that in, like, a few minutes. And I'll forget. And I'll come back. And it's 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 going to be there for her probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I've uh, There's still some tiles I'm really trying to <laughs> get some cyanotype chemistry cleaned off of. So I definitely hear that. And I think that the simplicity of the process of just needing two chemicals and the chemicals not being 
super sensitive to other light sources besides sunlight can kind of trick you into thinking that it's pretty simple or should not be so complicated, which at times it is, but other times it's definitely, uh, it's a hot mess um, when it comes to to doing things at home and, and it can be a little bit of a finicky process. Yeah, I, um, I've already, I think I've like gotten probably like four or five different like outfits absolutely destroyed by it. <laughs> um, I know that I've been wearing gloves luckily, but there's still times where like later in the day I'll notice my fingernails are like completely blue and I won't know until hours later. Um, it's fun, but it's also extremely frustrating. Like, I, I think if it would come out better more often, it'd be like, oh, it's totally worth it. But there's some days where you're just like, why did I even wake up and try this? And the dry time sometimes for like the solution can irk me. Maybe I'm putting too much solution on, but there's definitely times where I'm, I'm trying to set like a print outside and it's not as dry as I think it is. Mm. That totally just kind of makes the print not worth it at, at that point. Yeah, I think it is tricky. I've always tried to wait 24 hours between coding and printing, um, unless it's like a really small, uh, like a, you know, postcard size surface. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that it is finicky, especially if it's like thicker paper or if the chemistry pulls at all, it can get a little dicey. Uh, I haven't tried 24 hours. I'm, I'm working on like 12 to 15, so I could probably wait longer. I'm probably just really impatient. But I'll, I'll try to put it on in, like, late afternoon, early night, and then, like, by 11 a.m., I'm going right. to make a print. Yeah, and that time of the day is so good because, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're printing outside. Yeah. yeah I have, so... I'm trying to, but the weather here has been so, you know, up and down over the past month. Right. Yeah, that direct sunlight, you can't, um, yeah, through the, the clouds just kind of kill it a little bit. Um, so let's talk about the, the image that you shared, the, the cyanotype that I've seen that is of, um, I believe it's the, which team is it? This is actually I'm the sorry. All-Star game from 19, oh, I shipped it off already. I'm trying to remember, but it's, it's the, all, it's an All-Star game, uh, team lineup. For both teams in the in the Negro League, I have to look up what the exact gear is. But um, so it's teams from okay, all that's, over the that's country. That's where the jerseys are because I was I'm looking at the image and then I was thinking there there's more than one name. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so this so is 1939. 1939. Okay. Yeah. So six years before Jackie Robinson signed. Right. Um. And so this is, this image in particular is an example of kind of the manipulation techniques of we can see some of the team members, we can, we can, as the viewer, you can tell what is, what is in the image that it is a, a, there's a baseball team lining up, Um, but there's all this kind of like, um, sort of clouds that are moving in that distort and, and sort of cover many of the figures and the faces and the information and I guess I'm just wondering about that because, of course, with your other imagery that you're making about basketball, there is also the 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 manipulation technique, the um, distorting things and stuff like that. And I'm just wondering, 
um, how much control you had over this particular, these shapes that are kind of taking over the image and covering it up and how you, how that kind of works for you conceptually? Oh, I, I'll say I had no control over that one because um, I think the area that it is visible is where I oversaturated this. I, this, I believe, was my second, like, sinusoid period. So the first one I did, I really enjoyed and I really loved how, like, the actual, um, like, negative came out where it gets kind of, like, brown, and then you see, like, the really deep blue in the figure. And I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And I was trying to figure out, is there any way that I can actually keep it that way? So mm-hmm. I just had it sitting out, like, on my counter, like, looking on Google for an hour. And then I go back to the image, and it's completely faded. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't do this correctly. So I went outside to do another one, and... Um, I kind of left it out for a few minutes. And so I just was like, oh, I need to you know, hurry up and dump this in the, the water and everything. So I did that. And that's just how it came out. But I would say that although I, I know of baseball, I don't know it the way I know basketball. I know enough baseball. So I think because I'm not as tied to these figures, I'm more willing to have them be um, distorted or like less visible. And I know for a fact with basketball, like if I know the moment in the player, I wanted to read a little bit better as far as like who the figure is. So that might, you know, speak to that as well. Yes. And, and I mean, for me also reading it with this text about kind of like lost history, like it, it's almost, there is, there is a kind of covering up of this image by these, um, by the distortion and the, um, the chemistry kind of like um, moving in and covering up the image, but there's also like the image is also emerging it can kind of yeah. go either way where it's coming out from being uncovered or it's it's also being covered up. And that tension really is kind of like the, your, your maybe your own tension with how history is told or what history is told. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 would, I would agree with that. I have been told that um, when I do work with photos, no matter what, like it, it kind of has like a theme of like, over and under exposure of an image uh, am I kind of a pulling and pulling pulling and pushing no matter if I am working with collage or if it is just kind of like other materials that might be coming to the surface or in this case like things over and under saturating um, which I never really notice and I guess until I look at it I guess with more impartial eyes but I think that's kind of just how I feel about history and memory like memory is very very important to me and I think I said that um my last time here but i'm just really in, interested in how things come to be and like how, where do i come into play in that? and like how can i again like how can i account for these people that um haven't necessarily been able to like tell their story like how can i do that how can i make it feel how it how how can i show how it feels mm-hmm. how can you show how it feels That's a really wonderful way to approach it. Now I'm just looking at the image again <laughs> with that with that line in my head.
And I'm thinking about your other work um, that, I mean, of course, I just looked at it recently, too, to prepare for this interview and thinking about the, the image of Dennis Rodman. And, of course, Dennis Rodman is um, was part of a team as well, but is also like a standalone iconic figure um, that represents a lot of different uh, things uh, to our culture, to basketball, um, and that that this so that that image with Dennis Rodman also has its own its own power of of what what he brings and then what you're bringing to working with that image and then this has a very different feel to it. Yeah, when I uh, I remember coming across like the image of Dennis and then just I guess I always understood even from a young age even when no one I never had like any talks about like um imagery or anything like that or like the power of like an athlete because I don't think it was necessarily like on my parents' minds um but I always felt like Dennis always knew who he was and even all the noise around him was just an extension of you know that's the I guess that's a, a calculated risk and I I think anyone who watched him growing up like you you always knew that but you also never questioned um what he was there for and I think that's really in, in, important. And in life impaired in anybody that you, you know, come across, there's going to be people in your life that if you can depend on them, you can depend on them. And he was definitely one of those people, no matter what the situation was. And I think I'm intrigued by anyone who remains themselves throughout adversity. Um, and I think that's also why I'm interested in athletes that, because they have like, essentially they have a singular job. But I don't know what that person has to go through on a daily basis. I don't know, like, you even think about what was uh, happening with Paul George recently. Like, it's it's really easy, you know, like memes about somebody where they aren't performing well. But we don't ever really know what anyone's going through and what they're dealing with. And um, for him to like come out and say that he was having, you know, he was struggling mentally and emotionally, being here, not only with like the the civil responsibility and what they like initially were protesting but also like being away from home um and we don't know what that's like and i think that as an artist you know that's what this whole podcast is about but i don't think that most artists relate to sports at all but i think that you can like understand that you may have a singular job, but at all times you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and nobody ever really knows what that feels like unless it's another artist. Like, I don't know how many times growing up I've been like worried about like the price of graphite or something or like, what should I price my work at? And I'm asking someone who is an artist or not in this world. And all of that seems like trivial or like completely like obtuse to them. But that's my livelihood. That's like what, you know, that's how I live. But none of that seems to matter to these other people. They just want me to, you know, make whatever I make. And they also think it takes no time to make that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not... And that it's fun. Like right <laughs> yeah. Making art always seems really fun to people who aren't doing that thing. And, you know, the process definitely is. But, like, those hours you spend literally trying to problem-solve it's like being on the, you know, your own therapist couch with yourself, and it's very, very difficult. Right, and and just the the like you're saying with Paul George, um, that in when I am struggling with a 
particular thing like there's no chance that that is public (laughs) um and so that type of um you know I mean there are benefits to there are benefits and and negatives to to both and but yeah I mean I just think we could all operate with a little bit more care towards each other and not uh get into um bringing someone down for you know you can't be perfect all the time and these players uh both for the WNBA and the NBA also went into took a chance on the bubble I mean we didn't know that it was going to be safe It, it has ended up that it has been safe but they took a big risk by going there to play and I feel like that's also important to to acknowledge that it wasn't guaranteed that that, and still is not guaranteed that that there's not going to be an outbreak there. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I don't know that I would have done it. I I think I might have stayed home. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, especially just when you have uh, you know, your family. <laughs> it's like leaving your family, um, leaving your kids. It's just yeah, it's really hard to know and put yourself in their shoes, and then on top of that, having to deal with you know, kind of carry the weight, kind of like be the conscience of the country um, in many ways. Like that, that, um, of course, something I tried to touch on in the previous episode, but just that this is like we're asking uh, a lot from professional athletes and specifically from professional basketball players right now. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by what they're doing, but it's also like, this this can't be sustainable that we look other places besides our government for 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 work to get done or for work not to get done and that to be what is so powerful. I don't know. It's it's there's a lot of I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I think about um, I believe it was Marcus Spears from like he was reporting on ESPN this morning, like taking a moment to you know kind of feel for Chris Paul because Chris Paul is the president of the Players Association. So he not only has to deal with like the demands of the players and the demands of like uh, speaking for them, and then trying to like unify all these people and see what gauge what they're feeling. How how should they you know hold the NBA accountable and like their constituents, and then also have to deal with like playing a game today, and then that's like is. You know, his job is almost on the line if they lose his game. And just thinking about, you know, all the things he has to compartmentalize, like, we don't ever take that into account as, like, patrons of this of this sport. And I think that's just, again, you know, a mirror to being an artist. Like, people ask for a whole lot, but, you know, they, they're not willing to pay for some of the stuff that's going on. So... Right, and on on top of what Chris Paul's dealing with, I I guess the the Oklahoma City or some the governing body there that I guess controls like how voting gets done in the city has already said that they will not be using Chesapeake Arena as a polling location. <laughs> so they've already said like thanks but no thanks to wow. the the NBA or the the owners of the team that were willing to work with NBA on that. So then it's like the things that you did fight for and that you did advocate for, like the city doesn't have your back, even though you're their player and if you win a championship or however far you get or whatever award you win, like you'll be celebrated. But for these other things that matter much more to the whole country <sighs> yeah. 
So I'd like to talk a little bit more about baseball because um, I also, there's also another part of your work that you had shared about how your dad had played baseball when he was growing up. And I think that you shared a photograph of yourself playing baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just wondering, the last time you were on, we spoke about basketball and sort of what basketball means to you, both through your artwork and beyond that, um, for your family and and growing up and things like that. And I'm just wondering sort of what role baseball plays and and... You also have mentioned that when you look at uh, dealing with basketball imagery, is just very, very different and carries a different weight. And so I'm, I'm wondering about that experience with the, the baseball images. Yeah. Um, baseball, I have like a definite on and off relationship with baseball. Um, my dad, it's interesting, like he never talk about it ever. But I remember him telling me when I was when I was younger, like he played baseball and he was good at it. But like as a kid, I'm like, that's not disrespecting my dad. I'm like, well, how good are you if you're not playing baseball like professionally? Like, how good could you have been? But and that he was always playing basketball with me and my sister, so I just never really like put that much stock into it. Um, and like he has no photos of him when he's a kid, really, like or like even younger than this. And I believe it was maybe four or five years ago. I, I think it was my parents' 30th um, high school reunion. They went to and someone had found some photos of him in the yearbook. So um, we have no actual clear scans. So it was just someone shaky uh, cell phone picture of these, these photos from the yearbook. We just have three photos of him um, in high school playing baseball. But I actually asked him recently, um, like, kind of what was that like and like would would you attribute it to like hard work or when you're talented because if I'm being objective about myself I was just talented at basketball I worked at it but like I didn't work at it like other people worked at it I was just really talented and athletic my sister worked at it and so my dad was saying that he really worked at baseball and I was just kind of thinking about like what are some parallels maybe between our lives or his life and my sister's life because um I actually spoke to my mom about that. I'm like, maybe what are some disparities between me and my mom versus me and my, my sister and I? And just like things are dealt with in life. Like I'm, I'm certain I will probably never go through the financial hardships that my parents did, but my sister and I have probably been through like social and like emotional issues that my parents have never had to deal with. Um, like I quit playing basketball, but that's because I looked at it objectively. I knew I wasn't going to be playing in college, so I was like, well, I'll quit in the middle of my junior year. I'm not going anywhere, so let me try and figure out something else I like in life. My sister didn't get that choice. She had an injury, and basketball was taken from her. Mm. So I think about, like, different yeah. things in that way. And my dad, like, he played, and he uh, he told me he won, like, the, the Little League City Championship, like the first year he played baseball, and he was really good at it. And he led the, uh, um, he went on to play in high school and he led the team in home runs. He said he only hit four home runs, but nobody else had that many. And he was really small and really fast, and he was really good. But he was saying, you know, because of like instability in his household, and he was living with his uh, grandfather, he went to buy a car, and his grandfather was a co-signer, and his grandfather was saying, you can't keep playing because you have to afford this car. And he was in a position to play for college, but they weren't like he had to pick a real job or something that this is going to take a chance on. So 
he never got the opportunity to do that. So I think about the different things he's afforded by not playing. And I just think there's so many things that he and I will never see eye to eye on. But I think about like the fact that whatever he did do, I'm here now because of those things. Um, in baseball, to me, when I was a kid, I liked playing, but it was also extremely boring. And yes. it really wasn't until I was in middle school where I started to, like, outside of King Griffey, I just didn't care about baseball. But in middle school, I started to, like, really care about more nuances in baseball. And just because the Yankees were winning so much, I was a Red Sox fan. And the year that the Yankees played the Marlins, like, um, Josh Beckett is from Deer Park, Houston. So I was rooting for them. And I put $40 down on the Marlins. This is getting on a tangent, but I won $80. I won $80 because the Marlins beat the Yankees, and I was so excited. But from then on, I was a really big Red Sox fan because I loved Manny Ramirez. I loved, you know, David Ortiz, Trot Nixon, like the whole team, James Veritek, everybody. I was really into it, and I was really liking it. But again, playing the actual sport, it just kind of felt like there was something missing for me. Um but, you know, I always watch the playoffs in baseball, but it just feels like there's too many games that don't matter mm-hmm. in the season for me with baseball. But um, Also, televised baseball sucks. I mean, right. I mean... Being at a baseball game is a great thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. As an adult, I've come to really appreciate the being there. Um, yeah. But it's really hard to stay totally engaged in a, in a TV, a televised baseball game. Right. Um, if it's not a playoff game, there's really no point in you watching like a, a regular season baseball game. Like, I think the All-Star game is maybe the only one that I watch part of. And then I'll maybe watch a couple of games every now and then, like parts of, you know, an inning. But it it just doesn't matter most of the time. And that's kind of, like, unfortunate. But playoff baseball is, like, extremely high intensity. And even, like, getting into playoff hockey a few years ago with the, with the Blackhawks, like, playoff intensity in any sport is really great. But, sure. um, yeah, it just the only thing baseball really has for me are like some of the players that I grew up watching that are like very, very important to like my sports almanac and who I am. But as a whole, I just, you know, I like the game. I can, I can say and the history that's tied to it. But a lot of it is like this thing that I guess I want to chip away at it a little bit, like this, this huge white, like grand white narrative in my canon that is tied yeah. to baseball that I feel is more, t- is a lot more tied to black history than is like ever really given, you know, the respect it, it, it deserves. But I also don't really know where to start with that, but getting like the information about the Negro leagues has been great. I, I would just like King Griffey to get all the flowers he could possibly get because he was the first athlete I ever cared about. And I know he's in the hall of fame, but I still feel like people don't love him as much as he needs to be loved. He was everything to me, and I just I can't really put that into what he was. How I feel about Allen Iverson, like I can't ever take them out of the sport or like they're ubiquitous for me. Like they are what baseball and basketball mean to me. He had style. He was like he was a great looking man. He had a bunch of like he was just incredible. Yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say about no, him. No, is he going to come up in your work at all? Do you think? Like, I mean, in a literal way. I know he's there in a figurative way. I'd like to, but I I don't... 
I can't. I haven't so far. I haven't been able to like take. I haven't been able to like mess with his face. I don't want to. I don't want to do it if I'm not gonna go all the way. But I, I, I would like to. I just don't. I actually don't have anything to say other than I love him. Like, I don't have any like history that I want to dig up with Ken Griffey yet. Okay, let's talk about Bookman's, my favorite used bookstore, one-stop knickknack shop, gathering spot, and Arizona institution. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and this podcast episode is brought to you by Bookman's. You never really know what you're going to find there. You can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit, and during the time of COVID-19, they have curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling and trades. And right now, Bookman's is running a Summer Reads card program. For every nine books a customer buys, they get their 10th book for free, and Bookman's will also donate a free book to a local literacy nonprofit. Customers can ask any cashier for a card. The promotion runs until September 30th, so we have about a month left to get some free books. All the information can be found at www.bookmans.com. If you are listening and you live in Tucson, I know you love Bookman's too. And for those of you listening who are not in Arizona, please consider supporting your local bookstore next time you're shopping. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think that speaks to just getting into what you were saying before about racism or about baseball, the racism in baseball. Baseball is also part of like the romantic dream of what the United States could be and some people think that it is um and and baseball you know America's favorite pastime and things like that and just the lack of accounting for reality um and I don't think other sports are other major sports are as intertwined with that um because soccer is seen as such an international game and hockey is so tied to Canada and I would say basketball exists in the strange space of being both like a rural and an urban sport in many ways, like the the basketball hoop hung off of a barn and people learning how to play in like a dirt driveway and then the basketball hoop that's in the park that gets used by the same kids every day uh, in the middle of a city. Um, and so it's and you know, baseball is also much older. I'm, well, I mean, older than like the modern iterations are as a league. Um, and so I think, I think baseball is where baseball trips me up because when I go to a baseball game sometimes and I'm sitting and it's sunny and it's spring and, you know, you hear the, the ball hit the glove of the catcher and the crack of the bat and like, there's the, the nice smell of French fries in the air. Like I get caught up in the, in that too, which, which can, can kind of trick you into thinking, um, I don't know moving out of that of the problematic aspects of the the league and the the history yeah i think baseball as a whole like what you're saying like the experience of going to a game is is completely transformative um and i think that in itself is just the allure of baseball um but like you said watching it on tv it's like all of that is taken away but being there it's just like and it's not, it's not intoxicating, but it, it really makes you feel like, oh, this could have been, like, 
like I get it. If, if you have like you have an I get it moment there. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's just like I get how this could be entertaining if I didn't have like a cell phone at home, or and I get how this could be entertaining or like just sustaining something when there was nothing else around. And it's so interesting how it's like every other sports team to embrace like modernity and um, like things to speed up the game or or what have you. But baseball is like outside of replay. There's just things that have never really like worked. And even thinking about like these stupid unwritten rules of baseball, it's like you cannot have fun while playing the game or like any hint of disrespect. It's like we've got to hit this guy in the head with a baseball now. And it's like, again, why are you allowed to self-police? But any other sport, it seems like, you know, that's impossible. But I also think about, you know, the fact that, like you said, it isn't um it doesn't seem to be accessible well my dad had told me like part of the reason he played baseball like he really liked basketball but he was small but he was saying that baseball is the only game where you need you know one other person to, like just you have to have seven people to play he was saying basketball is the only game that you could just play by yourself and like where he lived there were several people but you know, they all couldn't play the same thing, but baseball at the time was like an equalizing game for them. It didn't really matter how big or small you were, as long as you could like have hand-eye coordination, you were okay. So I think baseball like ends up, like starts out being this thing that's almost kind of like your training wheels for like understanding your body. And then it kind of becomes this like members only thing that perpetuates so much of the history of this country. But even, you know, saying that, we have a lot of white stars, but how many, like, Afro-Caribbean and, like, Afro-Latinas have sustained baseball over the past, like, 20 years? Absolutely. Like, everybody knows Mike Trout is probably the best baseball player right now, but, you know, so many people have said he's, like, the worst superstar you can ask for. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't even want to be in front of cameras, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, like, Baseball has constantly had this problem, like, how do you make the sport more popular? King Griffey was the perfect superstar. You just haven't had a real superstar outside of that. Because even Derek Jeter, for as popular as he was, he wasn't a big, like, media person. He was never in front of stuff. There's just no, like, all the brash and, like, really entertaining people you see in baseball, like, they get coverage, but all these unwritten rules don't allow these people to be who they are, like, you get Jonas Cespedes and then, like, uh, or all this Chapman, Yasiel Puig, people who are really, like, animated, but because they do something to, like, upset some white person on, like, you know, the third base dugout, they're, like, subjugated. Yeah. Yeah, and I absolutely think we're seeing Major League Baseball sort of grapple with this in real time, like, as we're having this interview. <laughs> Yeah. Because they don't they don't know how to exist w- within the context of what the United States is right now. <laughs> and not that the United States always hasn't been the way it is how it is right now, but like with so so much attention being put on uh social justice or social injustice and racial disparities. 
and Absolutely. white spaces, um, which of course, like, I don't think, um, and, and I think that, you know, the amount of, of non-white players that have been in MLB has gone down in recent years, um, but it is still an international league in the way that football is not. Oh yeah, I didn't mention football before. I mentioned soccer, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. With, um, I mean, I guess football has some of the, has has uh, you know different issues, <laughs> um, but I, I would still say that baseball carries that like the the legacy of the United States or the the uh, imagined legacy of the United States more so than any sport. Absolutely, I, I think baseball is just like is the definition of manifest destiny probably like they right. think that's probably like the closest thing we have to that still so i mean outside of us always wanting to you know invade other countries and show them what democracy looks like right and control i mean what you're talking about with like this is the right way to behave and this is not which is crazy to me that in baseball they're allowed to players are allowed to leave the bench during a fight and the benches right. can be cleared and no one is going to be suspended unless maybe they actually end up I mean, so much of the, so much of the um, sort of like toxic interactions within, as in my perspective, like what I see is that when baseball players are like, you know, throwing a pitch at each other or trying to hit someone or something like that, um, it is for show to some extent without really wanting to hurt the other person necessarily um, or to prove a point, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's literally cracking the whip. It's like, this is what I could do if I wanted to do this to you. Mm-hmm. I have the power to, you know, um, keep you in your place. And, like, there's so many – I think if the overlap with football there is you have so many white players that are still in the position of power. Like, in football now, there's definitely much more uh, – many more black quarterbacks. But, mm-hmm. like, think about ultimately the pitcher's usually white, unless it's the closer. But the person who – controls the pace of the game and, have, and like can literally dictate whether you get hit or not with this ball as a white person and, and that's just like you know hearkening back I guess sure yeah and I think if it, it I guess it's so crazy in, in comparison to basketball because of the restrictions placed on basketball players like in heated moments when there is looking like there might be a fight if a player leaves the bench of course they could get suspended for the next however many games and get a big fine or something like that um and so for me that is like a way to also I mean that is absolutely a way to control and I think that came out of the malice at the palace um I mean I think they already had rules in place but the rules have become much more strict where it's like you put a toe over the line um versus you're not directly involved or I'm not sure, but it's just like that is also a way to control bodies and and the Malice of the Palace was a uh, a racialized event where systemic racism definitely sh- showed itself in the NBA in, in its response to what happened. Um, and it's just interesting to me that there is control. I mean, there is just like this, like sort of it's the gentleman's game or whatever it is that like there's this proper way to play baseball, but also you can like just pile on each other without any punishment at any point in the game if someone's pissing you off. Yeah, like the the selective impunity in baseball like definitely has never made sense to me. Um, But I, 
I was going to initially say, I, I guess I'd rather have the league have that power, but I guess that the, the whole point of that is like a, it's a board of people who make that decision. But I just think it's kind of, it's like you, you would never allow self-policing in, in, in football or basketball. Um, I think it's kind of impossible to have that in basketball anyways because just be, it's so visible. But you wouldn't allow that in football just because of how physical it is. But I also think like, you know, this has been debated on like sports analysis show and it shows for a long time. And I think that they always bring up the point that, you know, basketball and football are, are predominantly black, but baseball is not. Um, even though I think that is, you know, changing a little bit, but still it's like the fact that you do have this overwhelming amount of white players, you're going to allow them to, you know, essentially let boys be boys, but that just is um, a little backwards to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's really the only sport that has something that can easily be used as a weapon. Right. I mean, I, I think we saw last year in the NFL season that someone took their helmet off to hit someone else with maybe, um, or that, that, that has happened before. Um, but that's, yeah. a, that's the only other thing I can think of. That's like, you know, in cleats. Um, but just, yeah, just like the, the bat itself is kind of, uh, can do damage. Hockey sticks are also dangerous. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that one. <laughs> Right. Yes. Absolutely. But they fight. But they're allowed to fight. They're allowed. They're yeah. I know. That's yeah. And that's like that's a part of it. I mean, that happens so often. <laughs> um, that like gets them views. Yeah. I'm wondering if you've been to the Negro Leagues um, Museum, the one that's in Kansas City. I have not. Are you Are you planning on on making a trip once once? We can make trips again. <laughs> Are you thinking um, of going there? Possibly. I think. I guess the closest I've come is um, two summers ago. I went to the National um, Museum of African American History and Culture, and they have like a sports section in there. And I was um, interested, like, to see the chronologically chronologic. Wow, the history of baseball. Sure. Uh, yeah. Chronological events. That's what I'm. Yeah. And all the other sports that they also were highlighting in there, kind of like the history. And it still kind of felt a little sports on baseball. That also makes me think, I just think knowing what I know now about the world, whenever there is like sports information on black people, something I'm wondering like, well, how much like is being covered up by something or how much do I not know? Um, I think that's a fair question with you know everything that's happening, especially now that like since I was a kid, I have like that, that textbook, the history textbook with King Tut, and he was like a white guy with glasses. Right. And like, that's definitely not what happened. No, and I mean, even just talking about manifest destiny as a myth rather than, you know, um, uh, an idea to base a country off of. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do have to do a lot of um, re-examining or asking what's missing. In order to, I mean, your your hesitation about what you saw not maybe being enough, I think, is really well-founded. I think it's unfortunate, like, 
when we do talk about the history of baseball, then it just seems like Jackie Robinson's like the person we talk about. And then they also don't talk about the fact that Roberto Clemente, like, was really, really important and how good he was. And they just mentioned the fact that he, like, died in a plane crash. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I love Jackie for sure, but I just feel like he's the only black baseball player we talk about in history. And that's just, like, not accurate. Right. And I think that some, you know, in some ways we we see the the day that is used to acknowledge him and remember him and honor him in Major League Baseball is also used as a way to not address larger issues that the league has. Right. Um, and that that is a real I mean, that is how almost every day like that gets used, I think, um, that we see throughout our society with um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day and and other days like that, where I, I think these people are, of course, really important to acknowledge, but uh, not only on those days and not to get out of any other responsibilities that we have to, to uh, continue working on what they were working on. Or, um, yeah, I just, you know, I guess it goes to like, seeing Paul Ryan tweeting about Martin Luther King and stuff like that just on Martin Luther King. They were just a little like, yeah, but what about the things that you do the other days? Right. <laughs> um, and, and so I think, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a unfortunate way that those days get, yeah, it's complicated because I think those days need to exist. I just think it's about how, how we treat everyone the rest of the days. <laughs> I think that's particularly tough for like, you know, being black and having those instances because, because we uh, white people have positioned people like Jackie Robinson or like the first black person to do anything. They, they've put them on like in this position to where we have to definitely respect them and we should, but because of that, most of the time it's like in order to praise another black person, you have to slight another black, the original black person. And it's like, that's, that shouldn't be the case. And we can definitely do both. We can definitely praise both. And I think that's like the largest issue with the Negro leagues. We have so many other players that were better than Jackie that never got to play. And it's hard to praise them without, without mentioning that. And then in that same breath, you're having to disparage what Jackie stood for. And it's just like, there's so many things about that that echo these grand white narratives that like, you know, have historically been indoctrinated into America as a whole. It's like just really unfortunate that we can't praise both and have them both mean the same thing to us. And I always have to be, well, Jackie did it first. And I was like, did he? I mean, technically, yeah, but, you know, we had these group of people that were barnstorming and trying to, you know, gain, gain tra- traction. And there's actually been, I think, three technical Negro leagues, and each one of them were self-financed and run by Black people. And that's like, that's literally the American dream. It's like being a self-startup, doing it on your own, for your own culture, and being able to magnify your culture. Successfully. Without being co-opted, yeah, without being co-opted by somebody. And beating the established, you know, system several times over. There's so many times where MLB played the Negro League and they almost lost every single time. Negro Leagues always won like just about every game they played the MLB and they were better. Mm-hmm. But 
you were not seeing these people as equal people. Right. And I mean, just that, like, like you're saying that this was its own sort of thriving entity that didn't necessarily need Major League Baseball to integrate. That did not define its success at all, right. but it, 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 it instead took away its success. Yeah, the only thing that MLB could offer in the Negro Leagues was just money and sustainability. Everything else that they had. They were selling out games. They were great. They had the athletes, but you know they had to find a way to dismantle whatever that was because it was gaining too much attention. Like that was like the literal um, words of the MLB commissioner at that time. After the Detroit Lions played, I mean, the Detroit Tigers played Negro League team, they lost six out of seven games, and they said we've got to find a way to shut this down. It's creating too much dissent. Like, how are we looked at as professionals if we can't beat these people who are less than? Like, that's, like, how does that, how does that work? Right. So on Jackie Robinson Day, when we're acknowledging um, the integration of Major League Baseball, we're also then not acknowledging, like, the the collapse of the Negro Leagues. Right. It's like saying, look at this exceptional black person. That's essentially just what it is. Right. Unfortunately. Which also just, one thing on top of another makes it so difficult to then have us collectively address this problem as systemic rather than um, we're so, I mean, and I'm, you know, speaking as a white person for as many white people as I can or whatever. But, and I mean, just within our country, I think that there is a, and we've seen this in the pandemic as well. There's such a focus on the individual. It is so difficult to, um, adjust to think about larger systems than just that. Just like what we're seeing with this upcoming election. Like, absolutely. I do not want Donald Trump to be president anymore. I'm voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but that does not mean that, things are going to change necessarily uh, within our systems right away. So we so we need to, whatever has happened over the past few months, like that same intensity in, in whatever form possible needs to be carried on so that um, that we, we take the focus off the individuals and realize that the system is, is what we're up against. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Ice Cube had a video about that last week, he was uh, essentially echoing what you just said, and specifically speaking of black people, it's like, at this point, you know, we of course have no other choice but to vote for Joe Biden and, and Kamala, but they haven't done anything to necessarily earn my vote other than just be relatively good people. Um, like, you haven't promised, like, the black community anything, especially in these first hundred days, like, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for anyone outside of just not be a bigot? Like, <laughs> and I do hope that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are a bit more active um, in, you know, just you know, putting forward some some things like that, because uh, that is something, you know, as far as like the first one hundred days or or specifics, and if if they have policies and things that have been written, I just think like also selling that to everyone in a in a more exciting uh direct way 
Absolutely. I'm I mean, sure they I, have plans. Yeah, I was going to say that I'm sure they've got some plans for these debates and everything coming forward, but um, I guess at the end of the day, they don't necessarily even have to have anything, you know, but it's up to us to hold them accountable to say, hey, like, at least give us something. Yeah. Oh, I think, um, so just for the church fan, you know, that the cyanotype that you made of the baseball team that's manipulated is on a church fan. And um, so if, if you could explain arriving at that, just, you know, of course, know what a church fan is and how they're used and all of that. But just like how these, you know, this process of cyanotype and this image of the baseball players and like also where you're from in in Texas, like how these things are all kind of meeting each other as a church fan. Right. Uh, so um, I, I definitely went to church um, here, but I would say my, like where church really got ingrained to me is when I lived in um, Bakersfield, California. I um, went every Sunday, probably like a couple other nights out the week for like Bible study and things like that. I was in the choir. I was in, the, in like Sunday school all the time. So I was very heavily involved in church, but um I realized, like, when I, not necessarily when I'm down, but at the end of the day, like, the two things that I've always said that, like, just come down to really comprise who I am, it's, like, sports and, like, not necessarily church as a whole, but, like, things that are really ingrained into, like, church services or a lot of things are, like, in my mind, similar to how things play out in church. Uh, If I'm looking at baseball, I specifically kind of mean, like, the congregating or even if you look at really old crowds around even, I guess, before and after the Negro Leagues and during Negro Leagues, the attire that people wore, like, they kind of wore their Sunday best to these things. Um, people don't dress that way for baseball now. Whether it be, like, a Saturday affair or, like, a Sunday affair, people kind of, like, really dressed up for this. Um, and I think about the seating and how it's, like, very similar to pews, even though it's, like, you know, stadium seating, but it's, like, in these people in these rows kind of getting for this thing, like, at this at this altar, at this poster, at this thing, at this crutch or something. Um, and then thinking about, like, pictures of players, the way, like, uh, lineups are t- taking, you know, photos, whether that be soccer or baseball, they kind of take like, their lineup taking the same way, and it's, like, this, this course of people. Um, I just think about, like, just really, really small similarities. But the reason I kind of chose the church fan for this, uh, I was, it was initially going to be like imagery of church armies, and then I kind of felt like that was like just a little bland for me. So I again wanted to kind of make this metaphor. But thinking about the church fan and like how it provides like a reprieve, it, it supplies like some type of self-sustaining like not restitution, but it's something that you have to propel on yourself, onto yourself. And um, thinking about what sports has done for me over the years has always been like some type of escape and or seeing that it's provided that for me. But it's also something that I have to sustain myself. Um, just thinking about like what this haven means and like what this church means. So it's all, I guess, just internal. Um, monologuing I guess and then trying to figure out how can I also and I said 
kind of account for these people in this thing that are most of them are, are no longer here or if they are they're like very very old um so it's all me trying to like find a reverent way of using imagery and then also like the meaning of like what you do with the fan um like placing that whole thing into motion um and most most church fans have like some type of imagery of like a portrait, whether that be like a Jesus or like MLK, maybe somebody unfortunately that isn't with us anymore. So a lot of it is like these old if you look at old church fans, most of them are kind of like old dingy or like overexposed now. So kind of just playing with some of that imagery. And then definitely wanting to make more, but um again I'm 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 still trying to get the chemistry done with them to have the stuff not like bleed through or yeah, I'm, I'm excited outside. to see more. I was so excited to see it to begin with, um, just because now we're like, you know, cyanotype buddies as well as as podcast friends. I mean, I just it's it's a process that is so dear to me. So it was just exciting to see like your take on it. Um, and I love this idea of the church fan as like something that you you do for yourself or a form of self care or um. Uh, yeah, like you need to take action to make it work. Yeah, I think that echoes like usually the people or the imagery that I that I choose to work with. You know, these are all people who've had some type of major cultural impact, and that wouldn't have happened if they didn't, you know, find some way to really find it within themselves and reassure themselves. So I think that kind of speaks to that as well. And and I think when I look at it, I also, I mean, you know, thinking about the fan as something to cool you off, that, like, the sun is in that print, you know? Right. Um, I mean, literally, <laughs> uh, I guess if you think about it in a literal way, you know, the, without the sun, it's not possible, um, which I, I, I love because it feels like such an organic product then because I'm relying on two natural, two, you know, some chemicals and two natural elements without it, it wouldn't be possible. Well, I, I think if this is just, uh, I'm just going to say this because I, I'm, um, it just came into my head, but that if you continue with this work that, that the, the Negro baseball league hall of fame or the museum in Kansas city should, should know about your work. I mean, that would be, I would love to, you know, for that to happen, or like get some funding, something. I'm, I'm, I'm now that I'm out of school, I'm very serious about funding and who do who do I need to talk to? I'm, I'm 30 now, and I don't have time to waste <laughs> not being able to get paid for things or have help. So I'm I'm open. If you're listening, to really music. Yes, um, absolutely. I'm just thinking of um, you know, because your interpretation of these images adds a whole other layer. Um, all of the things we spoke about earlier on in this podcast that are so rich and important to then thinking about how, how we remember, how we document history, what history gets left out. Like it's, it's all relevant. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? I'm so happy to talk about baseball because I don't get into it that much. And even though I feel like the spotlight is on it right now for a lot of bad reasons, I think it's that's it's still really important to discuss it. 
think I have like maybe one friend who like is relatively into baseball. Um, so it's been kind of like this ancillary thing most of my life. But I also think that's kind of relative to baseball. You know, that's kind of accurate for that because, you know, you have a team of players, but you kind of do a whole lot by yourself. Um, but no, I think it kind of does it for me. Yeah, I um, I feel like, you know, when I talk about getting really excited about certain plays in basketball and things like that, sometimes I forget how beautiful a double play can be in baseball um, or a triple play or just like an amazing catch that you didn't think was possible. Um, and so it definitely has that power too. It's just like, it's just, it's spread out more. Everybody loves a home run too. So oh, yeah. Shout out or to like home a runs. Really crucial, <laughs> a really crucial strikeout. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, situational things with baseball. Yeah, that kind of, you know, it's like, you know, three balls and two strikes and whatever, like bottom of the ninth, and you're kind of on the edge of your seat wondering. Like, that, that is, that has its own, even though maybe it's not action packed, that it has its own power. Yeah, or even seeing, like, I remember I was at home watching Derek Peter's last game at Yankee Stadium and him thinking that his last at-bat was in the eighth inning and then they end up coming all the way back and he gets to come back up to bat again with two <laughs> outs left. He gets, like, the actual last hit of the game, a double, and they win the game on his last hit. Like, I screamed so loud. <laughs> Like, that was incredible. And I bought a Derek Derek Jeter jersey like five minutes after that. I was so excited. Oh, yeah. I'm not even a Yankees fan. Right. Yeah, that's so funny how that works. I was ready to buy a Luka Doncic jersey the other day when he (laughs) hit that shot. You know, I was was like about to go scream in my front yard. I like called a friend and left a voicemail. It's like the first round of the playoffs, you know. So it's just, yeah, like I think that that, those moments – that what you're describing with Derek Jeter like that is so I mean it just like makes me so happy to be invested in maybe not every sport but to 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 care because then you get those moments yeah I think that's like in general something that I don't think that's a generational thing but I think that's something that's kind of like underappreciated you know at this day and age it's like really it's really easy to make fun of somebody for liking something or like make them feel isolated but and then the day you have to ask yourself like you're you're expounding energy like hating on somebody for enjoying something that they like even though it's kind of like a, a full-on tangent but just like in general yeah i think we as people kind of just need to let people enjoy whatever they enjoy no matter what it is as long as it's not hurting anybody just it is what it is. Right. And of course, like things are fucked up in college sports, fucked up in, in professional sports. Like those things need to be fixed. Like a lot of other things need to be fixed too. the art world also needs to be fixed. Like as far as um, just like how it functions <laughs> and um, it just yeah, I, I agree that sometimes it's like it, you know, the silliness or whatever. It's like, well, this feeling is very real that I have right now from from watching this. And if you don't get it, that's okay. But I really get it. <laughs> yeah. But I also think that might be come, come from like, I've, I realize that I've taken for advantage, taken advantage. Whoa, take it for granted. Wow. Taken for granted. We're in, we're in like, hour two. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking for granted when it's like playing on a team and like 
not necessarily that camaraderie, but like you understand the energy that that person's feeling in that moment. And if you've never really been a part of that, I think that's like the thing about sports that other people may have never experienced and that it, it's kind of lost on them. Even if it isn't a sport, just like being happy for somebody else for accomplishing something, like that's a universal thing. Yeah, I, yes. I feel like some of my favorite moments are like the big hugs that happen after big moments. Yeah. Um, when players like swarm each other and kind of, you know, you, you kind of lose track of the person that actually did the thing. Like they become part of this blob and you're kind of like worried about them physically, but you're also like, I wish I was in that. And it's just this like really beautiful, organic show of emotion. And um, that does not happen in other places. Like, I don't care what bill gets passed in the Senate or, you know, like all these other things. It's like the pylons, the sort of knocking someone over in joy to celebrate them. Um, so, so amazing to me. I mean, that's actually interesting that you say that because I feel like winning the World Series in baseball, the celebration seems, not that the other ones don't, but the celebration seems a slightly more genuine than in other sports because it's almost like there's so many people that are involved in that and everybody plays a role and then like also players don't know what to do with their gloves like they just throw them but that's also something you want to keep but that's a full-on mob of people who like did the thing and it just seems like that's a, a really special thing that's a little bit different from other teams like in basketball and football, like you interviewing the five people that matter, but in baseball, it's like everybody gets to put on goggles and like spray champagne in front of everybody, and there's like seventy people on the field for one team, just like surrounding the mound. It's like a full-on like real team effort, and I think that's pretty interesting about baseball. Yes, I would I would agree also with that the players are coming from farther away <laughs> like the, the space is much more expansive so they have like you know they have more more um space to cover to like get together and so right. it, yeah it just it, it it does feel bigger in some ways and i think sometimes also in basketball like in baseball it's really not over until it's over um yeah. and sometimes in basketball like you kind of know. I mean, especially like I'm a Warriors fan and, you know, I would say the 2018-2017 finals, both not super compelling because it just was like, yep, this is going to, this is, you know, you knew at a certain point far from the end of the game that the Warriors were going to win the championship. And it was really exciting to me, but also like there wasn't that, that collective like. <gasps> right. That's a good point. There's very, very rare sweeps in, in baseball for the World Series or just like. It's it's usually the best team does win, but there usually are two really good teams in the final. Like that, it's not nothing's really super lopsided. That's a good point. Yeah, well, um, I hope I'm not sure what's going to happen with baseball or football necessarily in the long term this year. Um, but because of the pandemic, I'll probably be paying a lot more attention um, than usual if if the playoffs go on. Um, and we'll see about basketball as well. Yeah, um, I haven't been watching that much baseball yet, but I'm sure by the time the playoffs come around, I'll be interested. Um, 
always going to be watching basketball, even though I wasn't really sure initially when the set up came back if I was going to do it. But after like two or three games, I was like, yeah, I'm here for this. I've missed this. Yeah, I know. It did feel really, I mean, it felt, I there were some contradicting feelings, um, but ultimately, if the NBA can show the rest of the country how much it takes to keep people safe from this pandemic, uh, I think it's a good example in some ways. Um, and what's happened this week is 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 important. So I, I yeah. Yeah. And just as, you know, as a shallow basketball fan, I'm loving it. <laughs> so I'm just like, there's a lot of feelings going on. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, obviously pretty tough and it's a complicated position to be in. You can't possibly speak for an entire group of people and yet, you know, you're kind of in the position of having to show the country or at least the government or like the people with controlling interests, what it means to like show that you want some type of change. It's, it's you know, difficult to balance. Good. Well, I really appreciate you making time again for this. I'm so glad to have you back on. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. I will always be willing to come back on. Okay, well, we will talk soon and um, take care. Okay, bye. Bye.